I think the subliminal message of a lot of schools is it's going to be pretty grinding, but it's sort of worth it because you'll get your bit of paper at the end of it. You know, and I'd visited some charter schools in America, and theirs was all about what would happen at the end. I remember meeting one child in the corridor, and I said, where are you going? Um, and I expected them to say, I'm off to the toilet or something. And they said, I'm off to college. You know, it had been so drummed into every child that what they were there for was to college, that what happened on the way was almost assumed that it would be, as I say, it would be grinding. And I, I was determined to have an education that was just more expansive, that developed the whole child, that instead of being something to get through was the most, you know, exciting time to be a child and that schools could actually have that variety that really engage people. So that was at the heart of what the vision and, was. And your school, when you set it up, you have a slogan, I assume it's still there, it was when I visited, that we do beautiful work. And that's making the point that you're that school to do beautiful work today, whether you're a teacher or a student. We had a phrase, today matters. And that was an anecdote to somehow, it's all about the future and not today. And then it, beautiful work, and it drew on people like Ron Berger, the educationist in America, was this idea that a child of any age can craft beautiful work given the right training and circumstances, and that at school, the currency should not just be exam grades or the latest test scores for every child, but should be the quality of the work that they've produced. So it's the idea that here and now you can do meaningful things and every child can produce work of real value and real value beyond the classroom because what young people are more and more used to because they publish on social media is that it's not good enough to give a piece of work to a teacher and then get that mark it's actually more important uh, to do work that has a you know that, that can transcend the classroom and has real value in the world and getting used to producing that is really important i think when did it dawn on you that actually not only could you be a classroom assistant and a teacher, but you could be a, a school leader, somebody who'd actually establish something that would turn your vision into reality? Well, I spent four or five years, and they were really important years, at Greenford High School in Southall, which is a great school and an interesting school and has a really great learning culture. And I was, what, what I think sometimes is the best role in education, it doesn't have the pressure of being a head teacher, but being the deputy head in charge of teaching and learning, you can really get your teeth into, you know, what matters in schools and the curriculum and the pedagogy and working with heads of department and teachers on that. And that helped me form a lot of the ideas of what school could be about. So that that was a period which I really enjoyed. And, you know, I want, and I spent deliberately, a, you know, quite a long time doing that to really learn the craft of that and having come in from a different role beforehand and, and being a sort of career changer I felt I needed to immerse myself properly in that in order to learn what really made schools tick. So I'm going to cut to 2010 the Cameron Coalition was put together Michael yep. Gove was Education Secretary quite rapidly he created the free school opportunity and this was your moment to actually set up a school to implement the vision that you've just been describing. Yeah, and of course you, as you know, were the crucial person in that because you did a professional matchmaking exercise because you got me to meet up with Ed Fido, who you'd, right. who you'd known through McKinsey's. It was exactly like a professional blind date because we had 
this great breakfast. We thought we were really aligned. We then went off and we had that sort of dilemma, a bit like a real date, as to sort of whether to call each other immediately or whether that would show sort of excessive keenness or whether to wait a little bit and play hard to get. And actually, Ed was off doing something else where he was uncontactable for two or three days. So I sort of got, I got a bit nervous that he wouldn't actually want a second date. But we, we got together again and really hit it off and then... Then we got together with Ollie de Botton, who and, and formed this three of us to uh, to found the school. The point I want to bring out about getting great accomplishments done is probably I best put it quote Dave Brailsford. I asked him about why Chris Froome was able to do these amazing feats of cycling and win the Tour de France all the time, and he said sheer bloody mindedness. Um, obviously he's a great cyclist but but there's, there's a lot of that in what you just described isn't there you have to put a lot of hard yards in just to get the first set of teachers and the first set of students yeah. and the teachers who came to you why did they come was it was it your magnetism I, I i definitely doubt that but i think what it what it was was we did have a compelling vision that felt more expansive and it's hard to overstate how much i think so many teachers felt they were on a treadmill uh, the way schools normally have to operate with the twin pressures of Ofsted and exam, high-stakes exams. There is a sense of treadmill. And I think what we were offering them, of course, you know, sometimes I think we probably, you know, oversold this as being that different because we still did have to operate with Ofsted and we did have to operate with high-stakes exams. But I think people thought that here was a startup that could try and do things in a more expansive way. So I think that was I think that was very appealing to people. Mm-hmm.